Morning. It's been a while. We're back on Mark. We've taken a three-week hiatus. We are ready to return. We are ready to return. I missed uh, I missed those books on Mark. It's nice to have them back. So, in case uh, you were wondering, it's chapter seven. We're now we're not quite halfway through the book, but we're into seven. We're nearing nearing the halfway mark. So, I'm going to be um, talking today about verses one through thirteen. Now, um, the section that we're in here is actually chapter seven, verse one, all the way to um, twenty three. But not only is that a lot. <laughs> That is a lot. I was not going to do that to you. 13 may have been too many. But, but what he says in 14 through 23, I, it's, for, for myself, I wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready to deal with it. I, I needed to, to work on the first part. I needed to hear the first part. I needed to meditate on the first part because the second part from 14 to 23 is hard to hear. I, it's hard to hear. I read through it several times. I thought, you know, I could do this, and maybe what I could do is just go through it real quick. <laughs> that way it's not as hard to hear, right? When you deal with things really fast, you don't have to really deal with them. But, but we needed a little introductory material. I, I don't think we're ready to talk about that next section, but hopefully at the end of today we will be able to. So chapter 7, verse 1, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this, your day, the day that we um, come out of our common, ordinary lives to come and sit before your throne and look into eternity future when we are gathered before your throne of grace in heaven with all the saints throughout history. We thank you, Lord, for this this, um, meager bread and wine here that through faith we we know in our minds, we know in our hearts that, that this day of the week we come to the table of the Lord. We come to the glorious feast of Christ and his bride. We pray, Lord God, that as we, we, we think about these things, that we look upon this table, that we consider who sits at the head of this table and what is upon it. Lord God, we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you were, would convict us of our sins, that you would comfort us in the way that we need as sufferers, and that, Lord God, you would be glorified and praised in all of it. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the portion that we're in now is actually a larger section that spans from chapter 6, verse 7, through chapter 8, verse 26. So we're, we're right in the middle of this section here. And, and, and what we're doing now, right, what, what we've come through is the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, and then he went to this place where there was a bunch of sick people who were touching him and becoming clean. So that... There was all of those stories, and now what you have is almost a prelude. You have almost an introduction to this other little portion where Jesus is dealing with Israel and her sin. Now, what's fascinating about this is is the reason there's a prelude here is because Jesus is going to do something extraordinary. Jesus is going to begin to include Gentiles in his mission. He's going to begin to include those outside Israel in his miracles. God came from from heaven to earth, not just for Israel, but for the world. And he's about to reveal this. And, and, and Israel is not ready. Right? That's why there has to be this prelude. That's why he it's almost like he's like, listen, before I go doing this and everyone sees what I'm going to do, it's like I need to sit down with these guys and have a heart to heart, have a come to Jesus moment with you, where, where you realize what is going on. And that's what I was talking about earlier. He is going to do and say things in this section that are hard, hard. If nothing else, there he actually there is a Syro-Phoenician woman who comes to him and he calls her a dog. And and in our in our day, right? I mean, that's recorded. That's on the internet. I just said that he calls a woman a dog, and it's glorious that he does it, and why he does it, and what is he really doing, and who is he really? Assault, assaulting with that statement, that that is going to require several, two weeks of us gearing up for why he does that. Right? What religious leader looks at a woman who's in need and says, oh, well, I don't give the children's food to the dogs? Who is he dealing with when he does that? This whole section is arranged in a very particular way. 
it, what it echoes is actually back, the, the parable stories back in chapter 3 through 6. Because right before Jesus went out and, and showed his power by doing miracles, he had this moment where he sits everybody down and he explains the parables to them. He's like, you guys need to understand. Remember all of that work that we did on the parables? All that stuff where every time we think we get away from the parables, it was really we were going back to the parables. This is the same. He's sitting down and instructing them before he acts so that when he acts, it's less shocking. Now, there's three, thing, three parts here, verse 1 through 23. The charge of the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus' initial response in verse 1 through 8. The countercharge that the scribal tradition is in conflict with the law, verse 9 through 13. And then Jesus actually explains to them what real defilement is. That's verses 14 through 23. The overarching question, though, is how to determine if our interpretations of Scripture are God-centered. Right? I, this is what I love. It took a while, but they're not talking about washing your hands. They're really not. They're really not talking about mothers and fathers and keeping the fifth commandment. They're not even really, I mean, they're not talking about Corbin. They're not talking about what you think they're talking about. This whole debate that he has here is about, are you interpreting the Bible in such a way that it gives God honor or yourself? Is this a God-centered interpretation? And and if so, what are you building upon it? Or is this a man-centered interpretation, and what are you building upon that? What this section absolutely is not is Jesus pitting scripture and tradition versus one another. He never does that. It's, it's, for Protestants down to our age now, we're very, very leery of anything that anybody who wears robes and funny hats and has long traditions and says creeds and does things in Latin, right? Because we're Protestants. We're opposed to tradition, right? And, and so what you get is a lot of people reading back into this story, the Reformation. And that's not what's going on. Jesus is completely fine with tradition. What he cannot stand, what he will not stomach, what he will not listen to is, is tradition or anything else trumping the word of God. And, and I'm, I'm with him, I'm with Augustine, I'm with Calvin here. If the thing isn't, right, biblical language, if it's not a biblical interpretation, if what you're building upon your interpretation isn't his kingdom, then burn it to the ground. Burn it to the ground. In this, I'm not even a reformer. There are things that just we need to in our own lives, in this country, in the church, in the church across the world, that we just need to dump gasoline on and light on fire. And, and that's what he's doing here. They have constructed this edifice of something, and it's not God's kingdom. And he is now coming with a sledgehammer, and he's like, you know what I'm going to do is take the cornerstone right out of this thing so it all falls down. That's really what this is about. But we've all been in, have you guys ever been in a really hot debate with somebody? Uh, this happened at work all the time. I had a coworker. We didn't really get along, and we, we argued about the stapler. We argued about where the coffee maker went. And really it was who was in charge of this area, right? That was really the debate. But the debate was never like, oh, this is my space versus your space or our space. It was my space. <laughs> it was never that direct, Right? This is, oh, I'm, I moved the coffee maker, you had a day off, and suddenly all the, all the stuff on the desk shifts like two feet, right? If you guys have ever seen The Office, remember Dwight's mega desk? It was kind of that moment. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It's really funny. Dwight in a mega desk. So here they are talking about who's in charge, who is interpreting the Bible correctly or incorrectly. And, and really, if you go back a little bit, Jesus is fed 5,000, and he goes amongst unclean, the unclean, and they are touching him. So they're really asking, who are you hosting these people? What kind of meal are you the host of here, Jesus? Who do you think you are saying the things you're saying, doing the things you're doing, associating with who you're associating, eating the way that you're eating? Now, why? Why a table? Right? That's really what this is about. Who is sitting at the head of the table? Jesus is, right? We know that because <laughs> the dude walked on water. The man can have the table. They don't know that, though, right? He just comes along, and he's saying, and he's doing things, and and they have a long tradition of doing things a certain way. And they tend to stone you if you don't follow along. And so here Jesus is not following the program. So that's what all of this is about. Jesus loves tradition. We should all love tradition. Amen. I'm all for it. Let's get that Westminster Confession out, and let's 
talk about it and let's praise it as long as we understand the parts of it that are consistent with the word of God. Right? Why do we have a liturgy the way we do? Because it comes from the word of God. As soon as it doesn't, get rid of it. What does biblical piety look like? What does holiness look like? What does cleanliness look like? What does biblical interpretations that glorify God, that build his kingdom, what, what do they sound like and look like and what, what do you build upon them? Now we're going to get into it here. Right? These are the questions we're wondering about. <laughs> it's funny. They ask him about his disciples and he never mentions the disciples again. They ask him about washing hands. He doesn't talk about washing hands. But they're the ones who take the shot. Are they ready? Are you ready? See, that's really the question. They're not ready. I was hardly ready when I started ticking into this. Are you ready? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? What does he think he's asking us to do? Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, there's a, a lot of interesting things here. First off, this is one of those instances where they take the word baptism and translate it as washed. It's actually their hands are unbaptized. Now, for a moment, everyone, if you're like me, you're like, whenever they have this word baptism in the New Testament, it's... It, I really wish they would just translate it as baptized because it, would, it, would, it makes the word actually, it starts to really give us some feet to deal with that word and what we're really talking about. And what I really like about the Pharisees is they were full submersion hand baptizers. Right? They would get a bowl and they would dump those hands all the way down in that water. They didn't sprinkle, baby. They went all the way. We'll leave that for now. But they're baptizing their hands. That, right, they were used to baptisms. When John comes along and starts talking about baptism, they were used to baptizing. They baptized every meal, their hands. So they want to know, hey, Jesus, why aren't your disciples baptizing their hands? Why are they defiled? Now, this word is very interesting. Because in other places, it doesn't just mean baptized, Okay, or, or I'm sorry, we're leaving that word for a moment. The word defiled. This word defiled is interesting because it's translated in different ways in different places. Acts chapter 10, verse 14. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for, for I have never eaten anything that is common. Well, that's the same word, defiled. Defiled, common, another ordinary. Why are they eating with ordinary hands? Why are they eating with common hands? Now think about the mindset that, that is behind defiled is common. Defiled is ordinary. So the ordinary common worker, how hard do you think it was for him to get his hands properly clean and his beard properly clean and his hat properly clean and his clothes properly clean and his spoon properly clean? Right? If, if you live in a little hut and you're a God-fearing Jew... And, and you've got the animals literally living in the hut, right? Because this is how they used to live. The barn wasn't a building out on the back 40. People would live with the animals right in their house. How hard do you think it is for them to get clean? Really clean. And if that's what their religion is, how, how are they ever, right? Well, there are common ordinary people who aren't coming near the temple. They have this mindset, common, ordinary, defiled. That's why they look at who Jesus is eating, and they're like, why are you with these common, ordinary people? To them, it's the same thing as why are you filthy reprobates? So who are they making themselves out to be? Now, the reference to the Jerusalem scribes, right? This recalls earlier when these people were in the bushes watching Jesus. Remember when he was picking grain? These people are still following him around like a bunch of creepos. It's like, what is he doing now? Are they washing their hands? They're, they're observing everything Jesus is doing. We go on to find out they're observing the traditions of man. What they're not observing is the commandment. They're, they're doing a whole lot of, the eyes are up, the eyes are moving. What are those guys doing over there? What are those guys doing over there? What did our fathers say? Let's go over that again. Because back then, they, it wasn't written down, it was oral tradition. Let's go over it again. But where are their eyes not? Their eyes are not on heaven. 
Their eyes are not on God. Their eyes are, are on their neighbor, but not in any kind of compassionate and loving way. They're like stalking Jesus. And as soon as they see something that they don't like, they come running and they want an explanation. So here we go. They're going to take a shot at Jesus. Do you think they're ready? I don't think they're ready. I don't think they're ready. But they want to go there, so she's like, let's go there. I was having a nice meal. I was having a nice meal. But if you guys want me to slay your idols before your very eyes, let's do it. Hey, let's do it. Lunch seems like a good time. So this is what Mark tells us. And the irony here, Mark is just dripping with sarcasm. This whole list, it doesn't come through in English. But I will try to do it with my voice so that it sounds as sarcastic as it really is. But this is, this is what he says, verse 3 and 4. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. They don't just come and wash their hands. They come and they wash everything. They wash everything. Could you imagine every time you come back from Safeway, you're like, I was in the filthy world. Can you imagine your water bill at that point? Eek. It's this weird aside. He's like, yeah, they're asking him this question, and then Mark has to explain. Now, why does Mark have to explain what the Jews do? Because he's not writing to Jews. He's writing to Gentiles. This is one of those things that explains that he is, in fact, writing to Romans. And he's like, let me, let me, t- <laughs> I got to just explain for a minute. They wash all the time. And they don't just wash all the time. They wash everything. Can you imagine Romans like, what? Why would they do such a thing? Why would they do such a thing? And then it, it, it becomes very clear as to why later all these Gentiles who are coming are confused about, do they have to wash everything too now? Well, you're telling us these stories about Jesus and his people, and all of his people washed everything all the time. Do we also? And that's why they had questions about, what does it? do we have to become Jews before we become Christians? I mean, I've never washed my shirt ever, and now I've got to not only wash my shirt, I've got to wash you know, like my cup and my hand, right? Can you imagine? Rome was not a very clean place. Okay? If this was suddenly what you had to do, uh, there would be a lot of unhappy Romans. Now, what's fascinating here is that what they've done is they've taken the law for priests. And because they are the priesthood of believers, they apply the laws specifically for priests for the whole nation of Israel. Now, that sounds pretty righteous, doesn't it? They don't want to just be common Jews. (laughs) They don't want to just be ordinary Jews. They want to be super Jews, like the priests are. Why in every generation is there so few priests? And, and, and they go into the Holy of Holies, right? And that's the place, you know, where they tie a rope around you. In case you die in there, they can drag you out. Because nobody wants to go in there unless you're a priest. Now, what are they saying about themselves where they are like, okay, God has given us this law, and we love it. We love checking the boxes. You know, we've run out of boxes to check. You know what we need is more boxes. Oh, I know what we should do. Let's do what the priests do and then make everybody else do it too. Right? And there's the guy who keeps bees saying, I'm sorry, what? I, I'm a beekeeper. I'm not a, I don't go into the Holy of Holies. I don't have to be that clean. And they're like, hey, listen, guys, right? Look at the outfits. We're the Pharisees. We tell you, right? We're the interpreters of the law. And if you want to be a holy nation, if you want God to return from the wilderness, if you want to get rid of these filthy Romans, you have got to be clean. He won't show up unless you are. Yeah, this is actually how, uh, how he ended up leaving. <laughs> right? they, there's portions of the Old Testament they clearly haven't read. Because all of this burdensome, extra-biblical, man-made tradition is partially why God left. Because they were oppressing people with it. I mean, can you imagine the poor guy who keeps sheep? I'm sorry, I got Okay, it's hard enough to stay even a little bit clean out here, but now I've got to be as clean as a priest who goes into the inner sanctum? Are you out of your mind? Well, you're not really a Jew. Now, we're going to get into hypocrisy here, but I find this quite fascinating, how hypocritical we really are. Because one of the examples I was going to use later on 
demonstrates the fact that I'm no better than these people. Right? Because here was an example I was going to use in my mind about how badly you guys understand the tradition that is handed down to us. This was the point I was literally going to make until, by the grace of God. How many of you know who Russell Wilson is? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you know what Arianism is? Okay. How about Pelagianism? Modalism? Right? And that was going to be my example of what exactly? Right? How many of you are taking an ordination exam this year? Right? How, right? What, what if all of a sudden guys like me were like, you know what, if we're going to be holy, if we're really going to take culture on, we really need to get to know these things in our bones. From, so from the oldest of you to the least of you, from, from, from man to woman, everybody, you better understand what Arianism is. You better start working on your Greek. You better start memorizing Calvin. Because how often is it where the people who are the religious leaders want everybody to be as holy as possible, and so you start putting extreme standards on everyone? Right? There are sheep, and there are sheep dogs. And the sheep dogs have to know a little bit more than the sheep in order to protect the sheep. Now, why are there so few sheep dogs? Now, what if we, the sheep dogs, said, hey, everybody's now got to be a sheep dog? Everybody. You can't just sit around bawling like a sheep. You got to get in the mix, right? I'll see you down at Planned Parenthood tomorrow morning. We'll do some street evangelism. Like, what if we just made that the standard for everybody? That sounds terrible, doesn't it? And then Jesus comes along, and he doesn't care too much about washing your hands because nobody told him that he had to do it in order to be a good Jew. Again, he's not opposed to commandments. Watch him keep the commandments. You know what he's not going to do? A bunch of crap that you think he ought to do so that he fulfills some sort of image you have of what a good Jew is. He's not going to do that. And he's not going to let you do it to anybody else. No, no. No, no. Right? He calls that woman a dog, and everybody at the table is like, <laughs> finally. Whew. Man, he's been going after our own people long enough. In that moment, we're going to get to it, but he's exposing. He sounds like them, and they're pleased, and they're happy, and it reveals how bad things really are. Because nobody says, hey, where do you get off talking to her that way? Because this is what, right? Where do you get off not making these people wash their hands? Well, um, yeah, I, I read Exodus chapter 30, and it actually says the priests are supposed to do that. The priesthood of all believers. What, right? How far are we willing? What, what does that mean? What does that mean? They understood it to mean that everyone has to keep the law of the priests. Everybody. No wonder Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and, and overburdened. Now, he's saying that right, not because he's talking to a bunch of day laborers. He's, he's talking to Jews and they're out of the corner of their eye looking at the Pharisees like, yeah, man, it is burdensome, let me tell you. It is burdensome. Like, all I want to do is pray to God, but I can't come into the temple to do it because I, I, can't, I don't have that much water to wash everything. We live in a desert. Right? There's a limited amount of water. See, they have totally forgotten certain key principles. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6 and 8. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Right? He says, don't add to it, don't take from it, but do it. But don't lose your soul over it. Why would he warn them? When he's giving them the law, why would he warn them not to lose their souls? Huh. Interesting. Interesting. He wants them to be an example to the people around them. That's what being the priesthood of believers is. Do you want to know what it's like to approach God? Watch me approach God. Do you want to know what it's like to love your neighbor? Let me show you. Do you want to know what it's like to take care of your family? Let me show you. Do you want to know what it's like to, to, um, to be humble, to be compassionate, to not covet, to not lie, to not steal, to have integrity? I'll show you. 
Because the Lord our God, who, who he is the one who took us out of Egypt. He is the one who took us out of slavery to sin. He is the one who freed us from the kingdom of darkness. He's brought us into the kingdom of light. And he says, I, I love you, and this is why I've done it. And now love me back by being like me. And you're like, man, that, that's, that's only ten rules. That seems like a lot, but okay, let's do it. And, and he warns at that moment, don't lose your soul. And you're like, okay, well... If you're supposed to wash your hands when you go into the temple, well, what if you're supposed to wash? Let's, let, let's guarantee everybody does it by making them wash their hands at the city gate. Well, you know, somebody slipped through. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go down to the road where you come in from Egypt. We're going to make everybody wash their hands there. Right? You can't work on the Sabbath. So, so you can only walk, you know, it has to be less than a mile from your, your home and your possessions. Oh, okay. Okay, so if I keep a couch at uh, Jared's house uh, and, then, and then I keep like some, some hats that I have at Nate's house, then what I could do is I'm always walking, you know, it's within the distance. I can walk from my stuff to my stuff and then from my stuff to my stuff again and, and we're keeping the law. Whew, man, I'm going to heaven. This is great. And Jesus comes, what are you guys talking about? I don't know what this is. I have no idea what this is. And yet they are coming to him. They're not seeing everything he's doing, saying, hey, maybe this guy knows a few things about the actual God that we're saying that we serve. You're like, no, no, no. We've gotten the script. We've gotten the costumes. They're nice costumes. We understand our role. And, and who, this guy comes along, and he doesn't seem to know his lines. Who is this guy? He keeps entering from stage left. He's supposed to enter from stage right. There's this whole pantomime going on that they believe. And Jesus is just wandering around the stage doing improv. And they're like, we can't, this is not a play. I don't know what you're doing. The priesthood of all believers. You want to know what it means to be a priest? You want to know? Right here. This is what it is. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Now, I brought you out of the darkness. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of light. And you're like, man, you saved us. You saved us. There was no hope for us. Please, let, I, I'm going to come and I'm going to praise you. And he says, okay, put this sacrifice in your hands and this is how you come. Now that you, now that you know how bad you are and that you need to come, this is how you come. Well, what they've done is they skip that middle part and they just go right to the, oh, this is how you come. And because this is how we came, here we are. And everything's great. It's like, well, when's the last time you clowns ever felt convicted about a sin? Right? Oh, you're going to stone the prostitute over here. You're going to make fun of Jesus because he's touching lepers. What? I thought you were the priesthood of believers. I thought you were supposed to be example of the nations. The thing that you've built upon your interpretations here is bogus, and it needs to come crashing down around your ears. I'm going to skip down to verse 6 and 8 because I am running out of time. This is Jesus, right? They're like, hey, man, what's up with not washing your hands? He's like, oh, I'll explain. Hold on, let me explain. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of, your, of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Now that word hypocrite in Greek, actually, there's another use of it, and that is actor. Huh. <laughs> a hypocrite and an actor, it's the same Greek word. Why? Because an actor puts on a certain clothes that they don't normally wear. They put on makeup they don't normally wear. They say things they don't normally say. They believe things they wouldn't normally believe as a pantomime. To put on a play, to put on a show. So to be a hypocrite is the same thing. You're putting on certain clothes, you're saying certain things. This whole thing is a pantomime for an audience. That's what a hypocrite is. It's all play-acting. These guys are not righteous. They're play-acting at righteousness. 
Jesus is not attacking tradition here. Because what does he say? He says, you leave the commandment and hold to the tradition of men. The, the hardest thing that you could possibly do, and this trips up generation after generation after generation, is hold, hold, hold the traditions while not leaving the commandment. Bam. Now, who can do that? Who does that well? Right? Who does that well? But we're going to leave that now because I don't want to get bogged down in that because that's not what this is about. What this is about is their play-acting piety. They've read the script. They get what they're supposed to say. They get what they're supposed to do, and so they're willing to do it. And the audience isn't God. The audience is other men. Jesus is calling them out. The oral law was a fence which safeguarded the people from infringing the law. But in actuality, it represented a tampering with the law, which resulted inevitably in distortion of the living word of God. Because it always does. It always does. The exaggerated reverence with which the scribes and Pharisees regarded the oral law was an expression of false piety, supported by human precepts devoid of biblical authority. So they've interpreted certain verses certain ways, and and what have they built on top of that? Something very unlike the kingdom of God that they were meant to have if you go back and you read Deuteronomy. So now Jesus is just, he's going to go further. He calls them hypocrites. Your lips are near God, right? You're here asking me about defilement, but you, in your heart, you just want to show that you're righteous and we're not. That's all you really want to do. Your lips are near God, right? Because literally in this particular case, they are actually near Jesus. <laughs> the lips are near them, but their hearts are far. And this is what it's like when you're a hypocrite. This is what it's like when you're play-acting at piety. And so now what, now what is Jesus going to do? Is he going to now talk about washing and defilement? No, no, no. He has, a, he has an counterexample. Like you're asking me about washing hands. I'm not even going to dignify that with a response about washing hands because you're idiots. You're hypocritical idiots. But let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. He's admiring it. Man, that's a good way that you reject it there. (laughs) In order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Many such things you do. He's not talking about defilement anymore. He's not even talking about Corbin. He's talking about the whole thing. He's talking about the whole man-centered kingdom that they've built on these bad interpretations. Now let's talk about Corbin for a moment. In the Old Testament, it's not used very often, but it's a word that means if you, if you have you know, in a state, and you dedicate it to the work of the temple. Well, man, that's about as pious as it gets. That's super pious. This is how monasteries got to be so big. These little poor monks would go into Germany and cut down a few trees and make a hut, and before you know it, they would help teach people, educate, be doctors. And over time, more and more people gave them the estates that they had. And so you have these nice, pious, loving men who go into the wilderness to do good suddenly become, you know, like the king of France, where they have estates all over the place. So this idea about Corbin is a long-established one. But he, So what you would do is, okay, I have all this wealth, and, well, I'm still alive, so I need some of it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call it Corbin. I'm going to dedicate whatever's left when I die to the temple. Here comes mom. She hasn't eaten in a while. Son, (laughs) the son I raised, the son I loved, can I have a loaf of bread? Well, you know, I would, but I gave all the money to God. Um, But I see her. Look at your house. Like, yeah, I've dedicated all this to the Lord. So, yeah, I have some people coming for dinner, though. Can you, can you go home? Tell Dad I'll call him tomorrow. I mean, they, they have this way of dedicating everything they own to God 
It doesn't get holier than that in order to not provide for their parents, which is why he mentions two commandments that actually don't, right? Honor your father and mother is the fifth commandment. Later on, it talks about the fact that anybody who reviles his own parents should be put to death. They should be put to death. So what they have done is they've taken the, the vow laws from numbers and they've pitted them against the fifth commandment. And, and in an honor society where it's like shaming and you slit your throat if you, if you somehow are shamed and don't keep your vow and you're not a man of your word, God forbid such a thing would ever happen. They're willing to set aside the fifth commandment. Now that sounds like insanity, doesn't it? Mom and dad come. Mom and dad, you're, and you're reviling them because you, everything that you, all the sustenance that you have that you would have provided for them, you've dedicated to the Lord and you're calling that holiness. And so Jesus' point is, why are you asking me about defilement? I, I don't think you guys are qualified to ask me about defilement because you take commandments from over here and you pit them against commandments over here and the result you call holiness, which isn't holiness. There is never a point in the Bible where one commandment contradicts another commandment. If you read the case law, it never does. It's never like, oh, we have to set aside this law in order to fulfill this law. If that happens, there's a problem with what you've built upon your interpretation. Many such things you do. This is all over the place, Jesus says. Let's go back to the beginning. You're supposed to be a kingdom of priests. All of these purity laws are so that you're an example to the nations. And all you want to do is use it to keep the nations far away. Even further up and further in, though, he's talking about honoring and dishonoring parents. So what are they doing to God the Father? Right? They've, they've, they've dedicated everything in their lives to the temple, and they have nothing left to give him. Just like this Corbin law. Are, are these people dedicating their lives to God? Are they dedicating their lives to his kingdom? Are, they, are, are their hearts near him? No, just like in their real lives, you're dedicating all this, all of, everything you own to the temple so that you avoid your responsibility to your parents. You're doing the same thing to God the Father. You're so dedicated to the laws of the priests, your, your lips are near God, but your heart is far from him. This is what he came to heal. This is what he's, came, he, he's come to expose. They have this way of understanding the law that is, turning, that is opposed to the law. They have this way of obeying God that is opposed to God. Because what is God like? Well, God feeds 5,000 people, and he walks on water, and he heals a bunch of sick people who are far from the kingdom of God. Right? Visually, they're as far from the kingdom of God as they can be. Right? When he goes across the lake, he finds all these people who are sick, all these people who are leprous, all these people who right, can't... When's the last time any of them went in the temple? And yet, what is it? Right? What is, the sacrifice of the God is what? A contrite heart. So people who are coming to him and their hearts are near him, and it's not just their lips, their hearts are near him. He heals them. He cleanses them. And you have these people over here whose lips are near, but their hearts are far, right? They look like the right people who he's supposed to bless, who he's supposed to give the kingdom of God to, the Pharisees. But they're not. That's what we're going to see now. See, that's what he's talking about in all these other stories. You're going to see who the kingdom of God is, and it's not the Pharisees. It's not the Pharisees. It's the Syrophoenician woman. You want to talk about defilement? Yeah, look at your nice clothes. You got the turban on, right? You got the tassels. You got the curls. Man, you guys are looking sharp. You guys are looking sharp. You could be in a Kaim Potok play. That's a Jewish author. Right? They, they, look, they, they fit the part. But he looks at this and he's like, no, this is death. This is anti-God. Now, now, here's where, this is what we need to get ready for. They have started with fun, some fundamental presuppositions. They have interpreted things a certain way. And upon that, they've built quite an ungodly thing. We do too. 
let's talk about traditions. Let's talk about commandments for a moment. Right? I'm sure that you never pit one commandment against another. I'm sure that you don't have a set of standards for yourself and a set of standards for others. Nobody would ever do that. But let's just talk about a few commands. 1 Peter 4.9. It says this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> I love this verse until it's that out grumbling part. It's like you almost had me, God. Show hospitality. Well, you know, I got all the, I got, but I'm, I'm raising my kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and I don't have time. Oh, man, that hurts. What, think of all the things he said against showing hospitality. Without grumbling. Oof, got even worse. We all know keep the Sabbath day, but here's Hebrews 10.25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Meet together. Right? There's a lot of people who neglect meeting together, and I'm not talking about hospitality. What this is talking about is going to church. There are a lot of reasons we would miss church, right? I've got six kids. At any given moment, any of them can throw up, right? Just bam, you're in the car and you're like, I look nice, you look nice. It's going to be great. I guess we're not going to church. (laughs) Right? And there's lots of reasonable stuff. But that annual camping trip, you know, Aunt May has a tradition where we go camping on this weekend every year. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, one time doesn't seem bad. Well, where were you last week? Well, you know, Bothell has this tradition where the soccer team plays on Sunday. So, I mean, oh, 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 okay. So, where were you guys last week? Well, you know, we had, we had this birthday party, and, and, and Uncle Joe, it's like it's the only day he could get off of work, and I had to make all the food. Huh. Hmm. Elders' meetings get awkward. What do we do? I mean, what do you, it seems reasonable. Is it a habit? I mean, this is what I'm talking about. You understand the Jews at this moment. What constitutes a habit? That's a very difficult word to define. Sometimes you just kind of get the sense of, like, you're coming up with any reason you possibly can. But to be gracious, to not be pharisaical about it, it's very difficult to understand what that means. Romans 14, 2 through 3. One person believes he may eat anything. Amen. While the weak person eats only vegetables. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. That's not what that means. <laughs> I couldn't do it with a straight face. That was for Steve. Right? We used to joke about this when I worked for him. The weak brothers only eat vegetables. The ignorant and immature Christians only eat vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Hmm. Right? He's going to go on here and talk about the fact that what you put in you doesn't make you unclean. Right? The uncleanness comes from somewhere else. So you may smoke a pipe. You might eat a steak. You might not eat a steak. You might eat organic. You might not eat organic. Is it what you put in you that makes you clean or unclean? Are you saving yourself or not saving yourself by what you eat? Now, you might live a little longer, arguably, right? I love the one that I just, every time the article comes out about some person who's 104 and they ask them how they did and they're like drinking wine and smoking cigars, <laughs> right? Forget all of those other studies about heart, you know, failure. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, see right there, this Italian woman. I'm going to be like that. Despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment, right? I've, I'm so pharisaical about Christian liberty. Because you can, you will. Right? You can't smoke, so you will smoke. You can't drink, so you will drink. Pharisaical about liberty. I, I'm going to have a t-shirt made about that. But it's one of my secret shames, right? Because you can, you ought to. But that, what is, no, because you can, you can. And it's between you and Jesus. The weak brothers eat vegetables. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, only vegetables. Only vegetables. 
Ephesians 5.4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now, the problem with that one is that Netflix and Amazon now have this tradition where everything they produce is in C-17. And, you know, we have this tradition on Friday of watching shows. <laughs> like, I understand there's a commandment here about not letting filthiness come anywhere near us and giving thanks, but I've got this other tradition, Christian liberty, <laughs> right? It's not what you put in you that makes you unclean, Mike, like your eyes. It's not what you put in your eyes that makes you unclean, you Pharisee. But think about the purity laws for a moment. Think about what Jesus says about filthy speech, filthy images, all that filthiness. And we're like, yeah, but I mean, I pay $7.99 for Netflix, and I don't want to just let the kids watch cartoons on. I'm trying to get my money's worth. It's, it's bad stewardship. <laughs> there are other bigger ones, okay? Anyone who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. Okay, dunzo. That's, that is a commandment. Now, generosity is also a commandment. So let's just do a balance sheet and look at how much all the kids' sports and education and books and entertainment cost and your retirement fund, because even that, right? Oh, well, I have to take care of us when we're old, as if God can't. Oh, generosity, open-handedness? I, I mean... Are you kidding? i got to take care of my family. We're Protestants, right? The work ethic. I'm not going to ask if you're a hypocrite. Don't ask me. I'm just going to assume that we are. Okay? I mean, this was just four things I came up with here. Jesus wants to sit down and have a conversation with us, right? Like Like a good big brother. Like a good king. He doesn't want to put us to death in the end. He wants us to live with him forever. And he listen, guys, listen. You've gotten some fundamental things wrong. And I want to have a conversation with you where you get back on the right track. And that's what the next three weeks is about. And, and I don't want to just go hurling into that and try to just squeeze it in here at the end. I want us to really take time to pray and get ready for it. Because he says some things that are hard to hear. That, that aren't just hard to hear once you understand them. Sometimes you hear them and you're like, no, 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 not me. That's not me. I mean, you should see this list here. Murder, adultery, coveting. Oh, good, fine, I'm good, cool. No, 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 <laughs> no. We, we need to slow down. We need to listen carefully. We are like the Pharisees. We have this edifice that we have built that needs to come down, and we need to go back to the fundamentals. And, and, and from that, get the right kind of traditions. The problem isn't having traditions. The problem is having some that displace the word of God. Personal ones, familial ones, church-wide ones, American ones, right? That's why Boo Boo coming here last week is quite interesting hearing this other perspective. Right? My, my wife and I thought, you know, in any other period in history, only the wealthiest people ate meat every day. Now, I eat meat every meal, right, because weak brothers eat vegetables, Sorry, I just, I can't help myself. Right, so in the history of the world, the people sitting in this room are some of the richest people that have ever lived. Like financially, I'm not kidding. And we have all these traditions about that, and it's all this, right, Protestant work ethic, you don't even really know what that means, do you? But I love throwing that phrase around. I've done it for years because it justifies, for some reason, a lot of greed, a lot of bowing down to mammon. He loves us. He, he's come. He's sitting at the head of the table. He wants to feed us. He wants to clean, clean us, clothe us, provide for us, protect us. And in order to do that, he has to have some difficult conversations with us because we're not listening. We think we are. We think we are, right? We want to be holy. The intention of our heart is to what? Run away from God? No, to run towards him. But we don't stop and slow down often enough and think, is this what he meant by running? When he said run the race, is, was, is this, am I running properly? I, I remember when I was in, in, in high school football, I was fairly good at a, at a younger age, right? The, then you go up to bigger and bigger groups where there's more and more talent and you become less and less talented. <laughs> 
But I remember I had a coach who was like, you know what you need is a running camp. It's like, are you out of your mind? Right? I'm a human being. You just run. No, and I went to this camp, and it actually, you learned, like they slowed down and went through the whole process. Like, here's where you bend your arms. Don't do that with your hands. Keep your head this way. Bend your legs this way. And it turns out I'd been running all wrong. Right? And, but what did I think? Well, I've been playing football and baseball and everything for years. Telling me how to run. Who do you think you are? It was a Seahawk. I don't remember which one. But man, that guy could run. This is how crazy it sometimes seems to us. A running camp? Yes. Everyone in this room is supposed to be running the race, and we need to stop for a moment, and Jesus needs to put us through some, some drills here. <laughs> he needs to check our running. And so that's what this sermon's about. You need to prepare your heart for it. You need to loosen it up. You need to pray. You need to talk about it with your family. You need to be prepared because Jesus really, 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 really doesn't want us building our own kingdoms. He wants us building his. He doesn't want us to be empty. He wants us to be full. He doesn't want us to fear. He wants us to have joy. He doesn't want you to die. He wants you to live. He, he doesn't want you to come in the end and say, Lord, Lord, and he say, I don't know who you are. He's willing to sit down and tell us exactly who he is. We're going to see it. And it's challenging because he calls a woman a dog. <laughs> oh, okay. It's, it's going to mess with us because he always does. <laughs> he always does. That's why he's so faithful. That's why he's so good. If it were easy... If it were just easy, right? How would we grow? When it's hard, that's how you grow. right? When you've got to stop and slow down and think about the mechanics in your mind, that's when you're actually improving. That's what he wants to do with us. And that's what we need to prepare for, and that's what we need to pray about. And, and, and I'm, I'll be praying for you. You'll be praying for me. Be praying for one another. Because I think it's time that we just w- went back to the fundamentals a little bit. Because God is faithful, and that's what he does, right? He doesn't just come in and, right? He doesn't start ripping out the Pharisees' beards. They rip his out. He doesn't turn the table over. He's instructing them. He's teaching them. He's giving them clues so that they can follow him. And that's what he wants to do to all the Pharisees, all of us, all the hypocrites, all of us. He doesn't want us to play act at piety. He wants us to have real piety. And amen. Father God, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your open heart. We thank you for your passion, Lord God, that you are not a God of condemnation. You are a father. You are a brother. You are a tender shepherd. You are a physician. Lord God, we need heart surgery badly. Please come and save us. Please come and tear out what the cancer that's killing us. Show us, Lord God, how to run the race properly. You are a good and faithful God, and we love you, and we thank you, and we, and we confess now, Lord God, that we are not who we think we are. We are not as righteous as we think we are. And, and we, we, we are coming here in humility and brokenness asking you to show us. Show us the way and give us the strength to run as you ran, Lord God. And amen.